Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to another episode of Deconstructive Criticism. I am Aaron Flam. This episode will be in English since today's guest is none other than Dave Rubin of The Rubin Report. Personally, I discovered Dave this Christmas, so I haven't known him long, but The Rubin Report, which he hosts, has been a fixture of my YouTube consumption ever since. Before we continue, I'd like to inform you that you can support this podcast on Patreon, where it is called Deconstructive Critique, which is Swedish for Deconstructive Criticism. Most episodes are in Swedish, but some are in English and more will come. My new comedy special, The Emperor is Naked, or Kejsaren är Naken, as it will be known in Swedish, will soon be released with English subtitles on YouTube. Dave Rubin is an ardent free speech advocate. A former stand-up comedian who once worked for The Daily Show in the dawn of Jon Stewart and since long a host in his own right. Dave woke up, as the fringes on both sides of politics usually refer to their respective perspectives while working on the Young Turks. I recently appeared on Dave's show The Rubin Report, and those clips are available online among many interviews he's done with far more interesting people than myself. Watching Dave made me curious about him. Apart from a five-minute intro to his show, Dave lets his guests speak and always listens until they finish, and I thought it would be interesting to give him the same opportunity. Enjoy. Welcome, Mr. Rubin, to Deconstructive Criticism. Thank you, sir. It is good to be with you, Aaron. I'm looking forward to chatting. Yes, and thank you so much for letting me be on your show the other week. Well, I got to tell you, people know who you are. I did, I, you know, I'm here in, the, in America. We're very America-focused, but I got yeah. the burst of, of tweets and emails to, to talk to you. And, you know, I've, I'm one of the few people, I guess, that are, that are talking about Sweden. And... Uh, I have to say, you, you got a, an incredibly good response, which doesn't surprise me after the conversation. But sometimes, you know, if I put on someone that's a little lesser known here in the States, you know, the views aren't going to be as much or the response, you know, they'll be like, ah, who's this person? Even if they like them, why do I have to listen? Uh, but the response to, to you was fantastic. And uh, as I as I often say to my guests, it's always good to find another ally in this space because we, we desperately need each other because we, we're fighting a whole bunch of zombies right now. 
I know. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, well, I have been at this for over 10 years now. So uh, some people should know me. And we did get a retweet from PewDiePie, so that should have helped. That's as big as it gets, basically, in 2017 for two guys like us. If PewDiePie retweets you, I I took the rest of the day off. Uh, Really? That's (laughs) well-deserved. I bought a Boglioli K jacket. Um, Very nice, very nice. Yes. Uh, So uh, my audience uh, may not all know you, so I would like to begin this uh, chat just by, in your own words, uh, to someone who doesn't know you, how would you normally describe yourself? Ah, going broad for the first question. I like that. Uh, well, I am. Uh, I will be 41 years old next, uh, about two weeks from now. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, grew up in Long Island, New York, lived in Manhattan most of my life, went to college at SUNY Binghamton, which is upstate New York. So I'm, I'm a true New Yorker. I, I lived in New York basically my whole life until about four years ago when I moved out here to L.A., uh, did stand-up comedy for about 12 years in in New York, which now I do sporadically here in L.A., but I, I'm so busy with, with the current show, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, and, and traveling and doing other things, that that's sort of been, been put on hold. Uh, and I don't have to tell you that the life of a comic can be uh, quite miserable, and as I've found more fruitful uh, and enjoyable pursuits, that's it's kind of went to the back burner. Uh, but basically was always interested in politics. I, I was a political science major in college. Um, I've, I've enjoyed traveling and meeting other people. And really what I think has sort of put me on the map is I genuinely like talking about ideas. I like talking to people that I agree with and disagree with. Uh, and I've found myself in the last couple of years as someone that unfortunately there aren't many of us, but as someone that is a stalwart defender of free speech and your ability to say what you think and and have capacity over your own mind and not feel threatened because of that. And uh, there's a lot of people out there right now and a lot of political movements and a lot of power that is stamping down on that. And because of that, uh, a lot of people have, have come to me and dig what I do. And it's connected me with all kinds of cool people all over the world, like yourself. And it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. I uh, agree again, but can I ask you, uh, you studied political science at college. Yeah, I did. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so did you want to be a politician when you applied yeah. to university? or? Um, you know, I don't know what I wanted to be when I went in, but I always was interested in politics. So even in high school, I, I was paying attention to politics. And I remember when, in seventh grade watching, you know, the Dukakis-George H.W. debate. And I've talked about how... Uh, you know, I did a mock election and I really wanted Dukakis to win. And I thought he was the good guy, the Democrat, the liberal. Um, oh, by the way, at that time, Democrat and, and liberal meant something very different than it means these days. Um, but as I studied politics, yeah, I think at, at some point throughout college, I did want to be a politician. I, I liked there was something about the way things were supposed to work with our constitution and our government versus the way that they actually did work, or I should say didn't work. And I thought I could be a piece of that that might be able to help. And I I think we have a pretty beautiful system here. The constitution of the United States is possibly the most beautiful political document ever written. And it's why we've given more freedom to more people across the world. And for all the lefties who hate America, it's why still everybody wants to come here and doesn't want to leave. So uh, I did want to get into politics and then sort of quickly 
after I, I had that realization, I also realized how messed up the system was. So if you think the system is messed up now in 2017, I mean, I remember thinking back then that just why would I ever want to be part of the scandals and they're going to hunt everyone down in my family and find out every drug I ever did and every sexual thing I ever did and all that. And who would ever want to be part of that? And real that was, you know, 20 some odd years ago, which is kind of crazy because things have gotten much worse in that department now where it's just a constant witch hunt. And, you know, I don't have to tell you, but if you looked at our 2016 election, it had very little to do with issues and mostly to do with just, you know, destroying people. And that's, emails that's in the Russia. problem right now. Yes, it was all about emails on Hillary's side and Russia on, uh, well, it was Russia on both sides, really, <laughs> considering who, who, who might have taken Hillary's emails. Yes. But uh, so how did you fall in? But, but, okay, so you, you weren't openly gay back in, uh, when you were thinking about becoming a politician, I suppose. No, but I did know at some level that that could be used against me. Again, this is a long time ago where, you know, not that we have a ton of out politicians now, but I did have that sort of in my head that if I, you know, I was really closeted into my mid and, and some part of my late 20s, which is uh, in retrospect. All the late. Yeah, it, it was rather late and it was a different time. And, and I really don't blame anyone but myself. It was just how things work. I'm happy to get into that if you want. But um, I, I did feel like that if, yes, I could be outed or blackmailed or something like that, which is such a sad thing for someone to have to think about. But I did. That was part of it. Also, why I didn't want to be involved in uh in politics because i knew because look i mean there's so much we have the politics of destruction i'm sure you guys have it too and when you don't have ideas that you can argue on principles that you stand for and and policies that make sense well then the easiest thing to do is just destroy your opponents and by by the way both sides are guilty of it every side is guilty of it um but that's the name of the game and then that what that does is it self-selects out a lot of good people if you were a good, yeah. decent family man, I mean, picture right now, whether it's in Sweden or the United States or Mexico, you're a good, decent family man. You're 50 some odd years old. You got a couple kids that maybe you're in college or younger, older, it doesn't matter. You have a wife or a husband, whatever. Uh, and you think there's something wrong with the country and you've, you've been an honest businessman or whatever it is. Why would you ever want to put your ass on the line and get involved in politics knowing what they will do to you? knowing that they will find a picture of you in college taking a bong hit or, or snorting coke or whatever it is, and then, and then every other thing that they'll say about you and try to drive a wedge between you and your family. I mean, this is a huge problem because it self-selects out the good people, and, excuse me, and then we're left basically with, with this crappy selection that we usually get. Yeah, it was kind of surprising. I think Ben Shapiro said it best that in a country with uh, 400 million people, the two best people you could find was Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. It's, That's it's a, kind of mind-boggling. It's a great point. And, you know, look, Trump, I think, is the only, in a weird way, was the only Republican that could have ever marched through the, the machine that when I talk about the machine, I'm talking about the media and the establishment and all that. That obviously is left-leaning in America and very intensely focused with the Democrats and Hollywood and all of that. So all of these people, uh, we just posted an interview this morning uh, with uh, Jason Whitlock from Fox Sports 1, and we get into this a little bit, that all these people right now that think that they're part of the resistance because they're fighting Trump, they don't realize yep. that he's the one fighting the power. 
Now, that doesn't mean you have to like Trump. And I did videos on why not to vote for him. And I did not vote for him. And I've said a million times, I don't know what his moral center is. And I don't know what his political ethos is, by the way. I don't know if he's governing day to day or is there a plan. I think he's surrounded himself with some strange people, all those things. But the point is that Trump, just by the nature of him winning the presidency, is not the establishment, is not the powers that be. There are much bigger powers that be between the mainstream media and Hollywood and how we get all our information and old, you know, deep state political apparatus. So these people, they're just faking this thing. They love hashtag resistance because it makes them think that they're the rebels in Star Wars. And I love a good Star Wars analogy, but these guys are not doing what they think they're doing. No, obviously not. So, uh, but what type of drugs did you do in college that you were so ashamed of <laughs> that you had to go into comedy instead of <laughs> politics? Well, I mostly pot. I mean, mostly I smoked pot. I was a huge pothead in college. And t- I, I kid you not, I used to watch, I would take bong hits and watch CNN. I mean, what person in their right mind does this? I would watch press conferences. Uh, of At that time, it was George W. Bush that was president. I would watch press conferences uh, and I, yeah but they give they become so much more fun when you're a bit high don't they oh well they do i think clinton actually was president for most of that but then i did it after college too but uh but i would just i was curious as to what was going on i had crazy thoughts and all this other stuff but mo- mostly pop but i you know I, i've done mushrooms many times and you know I've, I, i've done some other things over the years um but it wasn't It wasn't really about that. It really was about the other thing that I did think that I would be outed or something, and that was yeah. more of a more of a concern to me. And by the way, I think that still that still exists to a certain degree because you know obviously there's equality for gays now, which is great, and I, I'm gay married, so I'm a I'm a living version of why equality is important. Um, but you know there are still people that are shamed into all kinds of silence, partly because what I'm talking about before that. People, we're all we're all dysfunctional, strange creatures, and uh, the people that seem to rise to the top are the people that really say the least and and pretend that they're these clean things when really none of us are. Because they care the least about get about what you know about the wrongdoings they do. Maybe they don't even see them. Yeah, that's very in themselves. Yeah, Uh, I mean, because you're asking what uh, Donald Trump's moral center is. I think uh, that he is a perfect trickster archetype. Uh, The trickster is not moral or immoral. It's an amoral, amoral Mm -hmm. character. It has no morals. It will do whatever it feels like at whatever time suits it best. So I think that that's an interesting critique. And I, I think you're pretty much on point. But I think there is a somewhat silver lining to that, which is that as a populist and as someone that really wants to be liked, I think those of us that actually want the country to be better, that want people to come together, that want to find some answers, that want to give more individual freedoms and things, I think if we could unify, we could actually, because he wants to be liked, I think we can nudge him in our direction, as opposed to a pure ideologue who wouldn't care as much and just wants an agenda to be driven through. So for example, I, I would say that that Bernie is more of an ideologue. He has he's a progressive ideologue. Now that's that's different. And I think you have a tougher problem when you're trying to mold someone like that. Now I could look, I could be completely wrong and maybe we'll never get Trump to to do anything good. It's a it's so up in the air right now and there's such endless hysteria around him. And so many people actually think that the president of the United States is a Russian puppet. Uh, that so many people actually think this, that they're spending all day long screaming about this and tweeting about it and all this stuff. And it's like, how about 
if you don't like Trump, now I understand that, you don't like Trump, I think that's totally fine. You're, you're, it's a beautiful thing, you're a comic, it's a beautiful thing to wanna fight the power and fight the presidency and all that. Well, if you don't like Trump, the answer isn't to destroy the system, destroy the presidency, destroy the three branches of government and take out the president, take out the VP and then eventually go after Paul Ryan once he's installed or whatever it is. That's not the answer, what the answer is, is what I would argue the answer is for almost any political problem right now, which is stop giving the government so much power. Stop giving the government the power to control everything about our lives. That's not what our founding fathers intended. And it is your duty to protect your liberty. So it's not about destroying the system. It's about going back and looking at the documents that set up this country and saying, you know what, the, the president if you love Trump, well, guess what? He's not going to be able to act as a king, and you're just going to have to suck it up. But if you hate Trump, he also won't be able to destroy the republic. That's what limited power is about, and that's what I think we should be focusing on instead of you know, screaming about impeachment, which, by the way, that's 100% what the Democrats are going for. Yes, obviously they are. Uh, the only risk for them is if they don't have a watertight case, then he will be even more empowered if yeah, they go after him and fail. Absolutely. He'll be more empowered. And also they may find, because we do know that there's a lot of corruption on the Democratic side as well. We know there was collusion between the Hillary campaign and CNN. We know certain things through WikiLeaks emails and things like that. They may find that they're going to unfurl some of this stuff and it may end up pointing a lot back at them about collusion between the administration and the FBI and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, you got to be careful what you wish for. Indeed. Uh, you mentioned populism briefly uh, in relation to Trump. What is your view on populism? Well, it's funny because the word popular, uh, if you're popular, it depends what you're popular for. So Michael Jordan was very popular for great reasons. He was the greatest basketball player to ever dribble a basketball. That's a great reason to be popular. Hitler was, uh, was very popular, and we all know who Hitler is. Now, Hitler was popular for bad reasons. So the word populism is sort of strange in and of itself because I think right now, through the way we see it in America, through the, through the mainstream media, there's a negative connotation to it, that somehow if you're popular, it's because you hate immigrants or you're too pro-America or something like that. There's just some weird neg negative connotation attached to it. Now, populism, I think you can be a man of the people and want to do things right for the people and still be a populist. Now, that may not be what Trump is. It might be, but it might not be. Uh, so it's hard to define the word itself. I would, you know, look, if you are truly someone that is trying to give as much control back to the people over their own lives, over their own ability to have property. And, you know, yes, I think we should have roads and all sorts of other things. I don't think there's no role for government. But if, if your goal basically is live and let live, which as I say on the show all the time, that really is liberalism, although people don't think so anymore, uh, then you, I think you can be a populist. Now, what modern populism is, which we see sweeping across Europe and now creeping into America, that's not exactly the type of populism I would want, but in a weird way, I understand it. I mean, if the left won't talk about the things that we know are a problem, if it won't talk about jihad and radical Islamism and all of this stuff, well then, 
good, decent people who are not bigots, by the way, and who are not racists, but see horrific things. I, I, I happened to come across on Twitter today of some of the video of the of what happened in London a couple of days ago, like actual the yeah. stabbings. I don't know if you've seen them, but really horrific stuff. And if if good people that are watching that who are not bigots, who don't dislike the Muslim person that lives next door or anything like that, but want, but want to see a real problem addressed because Islamism is a political movement. It is not just a religion. Uh, well, if the left won't deal with it at all, then you can't blame decent people who turn to populists in this sense. So meaning the Le Pens or the people that are more traditionally thought of on the right. They're just trying to defend their own countries the way they've always known them to be. That doesn't mean everything on the right or those populist movements are, are so pure and, and wonderful all the time. But this is why I've made it my mission for the last couple of years to try to clean up the left, because if the left will deal with things honestly, I think that the answers of liberalism are the answers we need. So I, but I have great sympathy for these people that look at the left and they say, fuck this, I'm, I'm moving over to the right. I, I understand it. I, I've resisted it, I suppose, at some level, but I understand it. Because uh, you did work for Daily Show for a while back in the late 90s, right? Yeah, well, I was a, I was an intern over there at a really interesting time, actually, because Craig Kilborn was the first host of The Daily Show, uh, who was a guy that came over from SportsCenter on ESPN, who I really liked. Uh, and he had just left and Jon Stewart had just taken over. So it was an interesting time because their senses of humor were very different. There was a lot of turnover with the writers because their styles were were very different. Uh, and and The Daily Show wasn't what it eventually became at that point. It was just catching on. It was just at the beginnings of that. Uh, but it was great to be around. But it is fair. Yeah. It is fair to call Jon Stewart a populist for the left, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that that goes. That's exactly my point. That's a great. Uh, that's a great point. So there are populists on the left. A guy like Jon Stewart. He's giving you the exact populism of the left. Uh, but. If you were to say to the average leftist, oh, my God, that person's a populist, they would go, oh, that means they're somehow right wing. So so you're making a, a great point and, a, and an important distinction there. Um, but I had a couple interactions with John. And uh, I'll tell you this. You'll appreciate this as a comic. I was young. You know, I was just out of college, I guess. And I was at a party and I, I went up to him. And again, he wasn't the, the John Stewart we all know now, but was certainly a celebrity and has on TV show. And I said, hey, John, uh, you know, I'm an intern here. My name's Dave. I'm, I'm a stand-up. I said, is, is there one bit of advice you could give me? Which now, in retrospect, as a comic, sounds like the stupidest and most corny thing you could ever say to a comedian. But without pausing, without even thinking, he said two words, don't stop. And, and interestingly, it really, that has so always resonated with me because what he's saying there is, yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to suck. You're going to watch great comics you know disappear. You're going to watch guys that suck get to the top. You're going to have to perform at shitty clubs. You're going to have to starve at times. You have to stand out on the street and hand out tickets and all these horrible things. But if you want it, you just can't stop. And, and that always stuck with me. And there were times, as I'm sure you felt, where I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I, I couldn't believe that, you know, the, the struggles of it and all that stuff. And that just always stuck with me. Like, don't stop. If I if if I ask this guy, who's now the you know the basically the voice of American comedy, uh, what his advice was, and then I don't take it, well, then what kind of person am I? So it did stick with me in a good way. 
No, I, I uh, and I think he's right because I've been at this for long now, and by now it seems that one is in a way unoppable. You are your own little show, and it just goes on you as go, long what, as you what don't else are you stop. Do, Aaron? What 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 are your other skills? <laughs> by now, I've burned every bridge uh, there is to burn in Sweden. <laughs> so uh, I think. Uh, I will have. I have no choice, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, usually, when it comes to uh, you know the kids, they uh, they say YOLO. You only live <laughs> once. Well, I think it is uh, the basically it's the terrors of my past and the bleakness of my future that keep me centered in the now. I hear you, bro. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I think what you said about populism is interesting because um, I think what happened in Europe, at least after the Second World War, was that uh, the right wing, because Nazis in, in, on the European political scale is uh, basically a right wing phenomenon. I know that on your political scale, they're a left wing phenomenon beyond communism. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Europe, uh, they're generally seen as a right wing thing. Uh, and I think... Um, after the Second World War, the political right-wing parties of Europe had to uh, deal with uh, their uh, Nazi and fascist heritage. They had to throw them out, the crazies, basically. But the left didn't have to do that with their communists and the revolutionaries and the radicals. So they just kept on going. And when uh, the Berlin Wall crashed in 1989, one would think that the socialist or socialist democratic parties of Europe would come to their senses and, you know, try to get their crazies uh, at arm's length, so to speak. Uh, but they didn't. And I think that is a big reason why we're in this mess today. I, I think that's so, a great, it's a great point. And I can give you the American version of that, which is happening right now. And I'll give you the exact moment when I realized it. So there was a moment during the campaign, uh, you may have seen this, when Bernie Sanders was given a speech outdoors and the Black Lives Matter people just grabbed the mic. And they and yeah. started screaming in the mic and he just stood there and took it. He just – he didn't try to stop them. He didn't – his people didn't stop them. They had absolutely no right to do this. Everyone was there to hear Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, the farthest left progressive, basically socialist politician we have in America, uh, by the way, who's been in the Senate for 30 years and I think has one piece of legislation in his name. But you know, everyone thinks he, he's the one that's going to bridge the divide and all that. OK, fine. Um, but but that that example to me was so obvious that the monster, you're right, they didn't take care of their monsters. So what happened was Bernie knew intuitively and his people knew if Bernie gets up there and shows some balls and does what's right and says, you know what, people are here to talk to me or hear me speak. But you know what, at the end of this, we'll do a Q&A and I'll let you vent your feelings and we can have a discussion after or maybe a meeting. If Bernie had, had had balls and principles and done what's right, he could have put a little bit of a stop to that, to that monster. But instead, he just stood there because he didn't want the same tactics that the left has used for so long of calling everyone a racist, bigot, homophobe, Islamophobe, blah, blah, blah. He didn't want that turned on him. So he knew if he grabs that mic and does what's right, does what's right, that the left, the people that are further left than him, will turn on him. And he will now be an old white guy who's grabbing a microphone from black people. This is a crazy yep. proposition, but it goes to exactly what you're saying. They never clean up their own side because it's made up of destroying people. And they know the second they try to do that, and this is what I've done, which is why everyone that hates me is on the left. 
even though, so I'm, I'm gay married, I'm pro-choice, I'm against the death penalty, I'm for a social safety net, I'm for single-payer health care, I'm for legalizing weed. I get no hate. hate from You're an atheist. People. I'm an atheist. I get no hate from people on the right, virtually none. If anything, I get emails every day from Christian conservatives saying, you know what, I disagree with you on a lot of stuff, but it's very refreshing hearing a decent liberal. I get relentless hate now from people on the left. Take a look at my Twitter. It's a joy, really. Um, so I have take I, I do follow you. On Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So so that's my point is that because they didn't clean up what they should have, they've been left with this monster. And I've been predicting it for at least a year. But mark my words, they will throw Bernie out one day. This thing is going to get worse and they will get rid of Bernie one day, too. And by the way, they'll get rid of Elizabeth Warren and everyone else because this is a movement based on destruction. And victimhood is their highest virtue, and you can only play that victim card for so long. So bye-bye Bernie, who made a million bucks last year and has three houses and drives a $100,000 car and all that stuff, which I don't begrudge him any of that, by the way. Um, but once that's out there, really, and he's going to slip up one day, and uh, you know, he gave the mildest, a couple months ago, the mildest, mildest defense of Israel. And you know, the left despises Israel now because it represents freedom in a, in a terrible yeah. part of the world. And, and they turned on him because of that. I saw an article in Salon about how if Bernie doesn't accept intersectionality, he can't be a progressive. I mean, they, they will turn on him. And, uh, and I have to say, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it when they do. But how did it get, get so bad in the United States? Because when I started the constructive criticism uh, in one of the earlier episodes, I said something uh, along the lines of... Um, I used to think uh, McCarthyism was bad, mm -hmm. but lately <laughs> I've been feeling maybe he had the right idea. He was just a bit ahead of his time. <laughs> uh, so, but, but, but in Europe, we never dealt with socialism, but you Americans, you really dealt with socialism in a very harsh way. How come uh, this is happening now? How can this have spread so far through your system? Well, I think it has, it has a lot to do with what, what, what I was saying about hashtag resistance and the idea that these are these ideas this oppression olympic stuff this intersectionality stuff viewing everyone on their immutable characteristics you know they, they the left will scream that everyone on the right's a racist and they're the ones who constantly are looking at everyone's sexuality and race and color and all of those things and whether you got do you have a limp or not because then we have to judge you differently and all, all this nonsense this stuff got so entrenched in hollywood in the media and all of this that it, it, it has become a monolith of a monster. And a great example of this, to, to go back a few minutes to Jon Stewart, watch Ayan Hirsi Ali on The Daily Show from a couple of years ago. It is horrible. John, it is the, the single worst moment I've ever seen of John. He is so dismissive of Ayan and because she doesn't play the identity politics game. And she goes in there and talks about the individual. She talks about radical mm -hmm. Islam. I'm sure I don't have to tell you or your audience the story about her. I mean, this is a woman who has lived through it uh, and there are dead bodies to prove it uh, and, and go undergoing uh, female genital mutilation and all of that other stuff. I will try to get her on the show actually, but I, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I, I haven't. Yeah. I, I hopefully you'll get her at some point. She, she's a one, she's wonderful and a true hero and a true feminist, by the way, and a true individualist, um, who I would vote to be president in a second, although she technically she wasn't born in America, but whatever. Um, but, but watch this interview and he's dicing up and playing the identity politics game. He's everything that that people don't like about elite leftist liberals. Uh, mm -hmm. and Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. At the end, he basically says to her, it ends by him saying, well, you're just trying to sell some books. I've never seen him that disrespectful or dishonest or smug to any other guest ever, uh, including plenty of, of people on the right and Republicans and all that. But my point in this is that this is what's happened. This is the guy who was thought of as the conscience of America for the last 10 years and all this stuff. And by the way, by me even telling this story, I'll get a certain amount of hate because you can't you're, you're not allowed to say anything about him. I, I, I respect him, actually, and I would love to have him on the show. And we, I would try to unpack that whole situation. Uh, but to your point, this thing became so monstrous that we look, that right now the left will look at someone like Linda Sarsour, who is a, who is an Islamist, and think that she's a feminist, and they'll look at Ayan Hirsi Ali, and the Southern Poverty Law Center will put him put her on a on an anti-Muslim extremist list. So everything's backwards, and in a time when everything's backwards, if you bring a little sanity to the situation, like you're trying to do, like I'm trying to do, like some other people are trying to do, uh, there is a price to pay for it. Uh, but at the same time, it's also why why we have some traction behind what we're doing because uh, a little sanity and in time of insanity uh, offers a nice uh, reprieve for people. Because this is the thing, uh, what I'm trying, what I wanted to warn you about also on your show, and yeah. I hope at least some of my warnings were heeded, uh, is uh, socialism is a collectivist uh, ideology. Mm -hmm. So they never really see uh, individuals. And then every new person a collectivist will meet, they will ask, so what group are you from? Mm -hmm. uh, what you, you understand what sex are you? What religion do you have? What football team are you rooting for? Because these things will define you. They will never ask about, about your character traits, like are you smart? Are you nice? <laughs> are you, uh, do, you, do you understand? And I think this is, for, somehow it has crept into American universities. I was in Canada for a year when I was at university studying there and I was studying film uh, uh, film theory is that what film studies mm -hmm. is that what you call it yeah and uh, I had just come from Marxist Sweden where I expect to be, be served a, a sort of buffet of postmodern theories um, in every kind of education I get I have a master of finance as well and we had some gender in that too uh, -oh. uh yeah, money apparently can be gendered. Um, so, so, um, so I would just and and I came to Canada and but Canada is part of the Commonwealth. So I said, okay, so that must be British socialism just creeping into Canada. Uh, but how? Where does it start for you? That's it's uh, for me. It's uh, I, I I want to find the root because if you find the root, maybe you can pull it out. 
Yeah, you know, I don't know that I have a, the exact answer to that as to where this started in America. I, I've heard a lot of theories on this, um, and people have different start points. For me at this point, although I, I agree with the general principle, yeah, if we could find the exact moment and really expose it, that, yeah, you go to the root and that's how you tear up the whole evil tree. Um, but at this point, uh, since I don't have the perfect answer for that, and, and uh, maybe I'll explore that a little bit more because I think it's a good question, uh, what I've consistently tried to do is show people that the things that you just mentioned about collectivism, about viewing these people as as these these labels, as instead of as individuals, that this is the most dangerous ideology. You, Aaron Flam, represent to me nobody other than yourself. You don't represent a white person. You don't represent Sweden. You don't represent all Jews or anything of of that nature. You represent you. And and just look, you're you're actually a great example of this because the things that you're talking about are not representative of what the average Jew is talking about. They're not representative of what the average white person is talking about. They're certainly not representative of what the average Swedish person is talking about. So that in and of itself is a great way to destroy this ideology. I think you have to make it personal, which is why I constantly feel like for me, I have to- uh, But you're a very nice person. I mean, I mean, I've seen you. Even when you meet someone you don't agree with, you're extremely. I mean, you're you're a joy to watch. You're well, very sympathetic. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, I, my feeling is yes. We live in a world where not everyone's going to agree with me, and I would never want to live in a world where everyone agreed with me. That would mean something has gone very wrong with the human brain if everyone is walking around agreeing with Dave Rubin. So I don't mind. Look, I've had people. You were you were here at my studio in my home. I am married to a man here. I have had people here in my home home who are not for gay marriage. I had Bishop Barron from the Archdiocese of LA here uh, telling me why he was not for gay marriage. Now, what would be the purpose of me sitting across from this guy? To, think how pompous and insane it would be for me to have thought before he walks in, you know what? I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to get the bishop to turn away from Catholicism and, the, and whatever the church has told him. I'm going to get him to say that the Pope's an asshole. I mean, that it, it's it's absurd. I don't mean the Pope's an asshole, but my point is that it's it's just an absolutely absurd premise. So what I can do is sit across from this guy, tell him my feelings, ask for his feelings. Now my audience can go, all right, well, they can either go, you know, Dave is a fool or, or this guy's logic doesn't make sense or whatever. And by the way, the most interesting part of the interview with him was that I got a ton, as I mentioned before, I got a ton of emails from Christian conservatives saying, I, you know, I don't even agree with gay marriage, but it was so nice to hear that. And I'll, I'll think a little differently about this or that. Ironically, Bishop Barron got in a ton of hot water because I got him basically to say that his head and his heart weren't totally in the same place on this. Which for for a Catholic bishop is a is a far he's a representative of the church. This is a far place to go uh, to sit across from a gay person and say that. So I think that's how you get wins. The idea that I would have walked in there to to somehow get him or be offended by what he believes. You know what he believes something. Okay, we live in a democracy. The thing that I believe in uh, that has allowed me to uh, be married has passed. It's passed the law. So I suppose if if it was five years ago and I had sat down with him, maybe I would have had a little more of an axe to grind. But I think when when the arc of justice bends in your direction, you should try to be a little uh, a little. You should try to acknowledge that and change along with it. So it's just kind of built into me, I guess. Not to say I don't get angry and pissed at people.
Of course you do. But uh, uh, I mean, uh, you were at the Young Turks for a while, and that's basically <laughs> when you, uh, to use a half post terminology, woke. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I guess it was the host of the Young Turks. I, 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 I don't want to mispronounce um, I'd like to hear you his... pronounce his name, actually, and then I'll say it properly. But can you Etkish? say. Etkish? What? Etkish? Keshkish? No? Is his no? name? It's Jenk Uger. Jenk Uger. Yeah. Okay. There's a, a, a fair share of uh, weird K's in there and C's, isn't there? <laughs> There's a couple of C's and a Y that I guess is a little confusing for people. Okay. So, but you worked for them for a while, and then yeah. uh, uh, it was the Sam Harris interview that uh, sort of woke you up. Yeah. You know, there were a couple moments that had happened before that where I there were things that I didn't like, where I I realized I would be on air with them, and I realized, and there were I had many private conversations with with some of the hosts who no longer will talk to me, who now say I'm a bigoted racist, and you know have unfollowed me on Twitter and befriended me on this or that. I would get into arguments or even not forget arguments. I would get into discussions privately with some of them, sometimes smoking a joint or having a drink. Uh, And I realized that many of them, and I mean this, many of them had no idea what they were talking about politically, that they would say whatever they felt and they would do that very well. But there was no political ideology. There was no sense of history in many cases. Uh, And I'm not in in this case, I I won't throw anyone else. I won't talk shit about anyone specifically, although I will address Jenk. Um, but that people that genuinely didn't know history, didn't know basic fundamental things about our government that would then go on this show and pretend that they were experts in this. So that was bothering me. But yeah, the Sam Harris thing was the, was the, was the real moment for me, uh, because I did not even know, I've told the story a few times, so I'll, I'll try to make it a little quick, but I didn't even know who Sam was the night of, uh, that he was on real time with Bill Maher. I, 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 I think maybe I had heard of him, but I had no, I didn't, certainly wasn't a fan of his. I didn't really know anything about him. And I watched that episode live and, you know, Ben Affleck then calls him and Bill Maher gross and racist and all hell breaks loose. And then suddenly in the next couple of weeks in the papers and in online, Bill Maher is defending himself from being racist, which Bill Maher had been the standard bearer of the left. Now there's some interesting things going on with Bill now, which we can get into. But then this guy, Sam Harris, who said nothing, right? First off, Islam isn't a race, but putting that aside because people are idiots, uh, there, he said nothing bigoted or prejudiced. He quoted Pew statistics to try to have an honest discussion about something that's on people's minds. Uh, and then, and then Jenk unfortunately went all in on it, endlessly lied, selectively edited videos, made it extremely personal. And then the, the, the final straw was he sat down with Sam for three hours. Sam laid out. Every- I saw that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was still working there at the time. And, you know, Sam laid out everything for three hours with no editing, completely calm, answered every question. There's a point about 20 minutes in. I welcome your audience to watch where Jenk denies probability theory. I mean, he, he really he just he just doesn't know what he's saying and he thinks he knows everything. And and Sam just destroys him. And at the end of that, I thought, I cannot work here anymore. And then soon after that, the Charlie Hebdo thing happened. And there was a there were people on air saying that you shouldn't draw these cartoons, which is the worst type of, of uh, soft bigotry of low expectations. And uh, and yeah. And then, by the way, although obviously it, it's gotten sort of nasty between uh, the two of us, I, I publicly 
tried to reach out to him many times before it got nasty in a, in a very pleasant way. I said, you know, Jenk, I think people are attacking you because this, 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 and this. And he just refused, and then uh, and then it just got worse. But uh, yeah, I don't think he's a good person, and I don't, and I think they're they're doing a lot of bad misinformation to people. Yeah, I I um I recognize that. I don't know if Jenk is a good person or not, but I. I know of several colleagues here in Sweden that have had maybe one routine about racism or left or that they're leftists or whatever and they get hijacked by these movements and made into uh, gods and surrounded by sycophants and after a while they become bad people anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well that that's a great point and and just real quick on the on the update on Bill Maher. I mean Bill Maher, I actually think that at this point as a classical liberal I'm now to the right of Bill. I used to agree with him on everything, but I think what's funny about his situation right now is my one criticism of Bill over these last 20 years, and by the way, I totally admire him. He Can we just quick for yeah. the audience tell them what Bill Maher has done? So Bill Maher had an interview with a, is he a senator? Yeah, Senator Ben Sass, a Republican yeah. senator. And he ended the interview by saying, well, I'm a house nigger, basically. Yeah, so I'm not going to yes. say it because I know if I even quote it, that that's, you know, I'm glad you said. I was I I wasn't quoting Bill Maher. I was actually uh, quoting <laughs> Malcolm X now. <laughs> but think how because that's what he was referencing, isn't it? The field Negro versus house Negro speech by Malcolm X. Of course, and think about how idiotic it is. So first off, he didn't call anyone the word. He wasn't calling a group of people the word or using it in a racial undertone. You can you can say the joke was stupid or in poor taste or any of that stuff. But this this outrage machine that blows up on him. I saw comedians who I know, who are friends of mine, who are popular people, calling for him to be fired. Bill Maher has stood for every leftist principle for the last 30 years, probably more publicly than anyone else in America. He has always, you know, you may argue, I think you can make great arguments now about why the Democrats have done a lot of bad things racially for, and the left has done a lot of bad things racially for the black community. But you cannot argue that Bill's intentions have always been to protect minorities, to stop United States imperialism, to be for gay people and be for black people and all of these things. Now, you may argue that his his intentions are don't match with what reality is. Okay, fine. But this is a guy who I, I totally respect. I, I hope he'll be on my show. I, I hope I'll be on his show. Uh, and even though I have difference with, with him, I think that's totally fine. I think his one mistake over the last couple of years is partly why he's being eaten right now. He did play in the game of calling people racist and bigots when they're not. So if you watch his show, he often will call all Republicans racist or backwards redneck, you know, sister fucking drug addict, whatever. So now those tactics are now being used against him because he was using a tactic of the left when he was in lockstep with them. Then he started talking about radical Islam. So they've been waiting. The left has been waiting to find something on Bill that they could destroy him on. And I think this yeah. is what this is the one that they're going to keep going on. And I hope it doesn't work. Uh, and I, by the way, if, if I sat down with Bill, which I hopefully will, I will be I would love to discuss this with him. Uh, and I would do it in, in the most respectful, honest way of, of a true critique, uh, because these are the tactics that are being used against him right now. 
Um, but the idea that this is this guy is somehow racist or bigoted, Reza Aslan, who's a uh, a really awful. Person, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah who's uh, uh, has a show on CNN and is a hero of the left right now and is one of the biggest slanders and and still is he still a hero? I thought you had deconstructed him. <laughs> well, he's taken major hits because of I think some of the things that that Sam and I and a few other people have exposed him on. But yeah, he's still thought of as as one of these people. Um, but. You know, he used to go on Bill's show all the time, and I've I've read articles where he would refer to him as my friend Bill Maher. He was talking about what a racist Bill is this week. Um, you know, so it's it's just it's just garbage. And beyond everything else, you know, as a comic, you know this. There is a difference between a joke and 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 a true racist thing, which is why I one hundred percent stand with uh, your your most famous man in all of your country, PewDiePie, uh, because. Mm -hmm. He was making a joke. I have, and even if, even if, and I don't believe this to be true, but even if there was PewDiePie secretly had something against Jews, uh, guess what? You're still allowed to make the joke. And Jews have a history of being slaughtered and pogromed and sent to ovens and all sorts of horrible shit. Guess what? We're pretty much tough enough to take a joke. And, uh, yep. and that's one thing I never want Jews to get rid of. There's a reason that nine out of 10 great comics is Jewish. And it's because we know how to take a joke because pain, if you deal with it, is funny. And if it's not funny, you end up in a mental institution or drugging yourself. And I would much rather be funny than than be dead or be self-righteous. Absolutely. And I think they have been sharpening, sharpening their knives against Bill for quite some time. I mean, he's always been anti-PC, which is uh, mm -hmm. kind of a leftist policy, isn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And... By the way, for, for people think that maybe we're overblowing this, I mean, I can tell you this, the people, if I look right now, I mean, you could do this, put Bill's name in on, on Twitter right now and search his name and every bit of hate you will see against him will be from someone on the left. It will not be from someone on the right. And that's the irony. That's the irony because we live in a time where the right at the moment in America is more, defend, is more of a defender of free speech and the left is not. And and this is again why I've been trying to clean this up. Uh, but but Bill Maher is not. If you're a, if you want equality for all people, Bill Maher is not your enemy. But you know what? If you want to find enemies everywhere, then go go have at it. Yes, indeed. Uh, there um, uh, there is so much going on right now and in in the world. So uh, you asked me if you if I saw any hope anywhere, and I told you that. Uh, my only hope is that I will be able to tell everyone I told you so at the end of my life, which <laughs> yeah. uh, s seemed to depress you a bit. Uh, <laughs> personally, being at heart a cynic, I don't think hope is necessary uh, to uh, take responsibility or just trudge on, because I think survival is uh, biologically programmed into our species, so it doesn't really matter if we have hope or not. We're just supposed to survive for as long as possible and provide the best possible uh, um, lives for our children so they can do the same, mm -hmm. which uh, may sound a bit depressing, I know, uh, but it, it consoles me at night. So uh, do you see any hope for the future now? Man, you know, it's funny. You describe yourself as a cynic at heart. I think I'm actually an optimist at heart, but, but I'm a realist also, which, you know, it's a fine line between being a realist and a cynic. I Look, if I didn't have hope, I don't know what the purpose would be of me doing any of this. If I didn't have hope that you can change minds and that we can fight this, the, the stem of this, we can fight the tide of this, 
well, I guess I could probably do something else that uh, I'd be a totally private person that would just live out my days and spend more time in my garden or something and probably practice basketball more than I do now. Um, so I, I have hope because I've seen it. I, I've seen the fruits of saying what I believe and then seeing that it changes minds. I've seen my own political evolution over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, th there's a, a moment on my show from about two years ago when I still was not fully woke or red-pilled, as the kids say. Uh, and I had Larry Elder on, who's, who happens to be a black conservative. And he really smashed me over the head with some numbers and some facts. And we could have edited it out of the show. It was not my best moment. I mean, I, I looked foolish, actually. I did not look like I was armed for the intellectual battle. And I said to my guys, we're leaving that because it's a t it was a teachable moment for me. And I think it'll be a teachable moment for other people. Many people have mirrored that clip on on YouTube, and there's many, many versions of it that have hundreds of thousands and millions of views on on YouTube and Facebook. And so I know that I have learned and changed over these past couple of years. So I and I know that many people that message me have done the same. So I do think we can fight this. And I think we have no choice. If what would be the purpose of bringing a child into this world? What would be the purpose of of doing anything? What would be the purpose of being a successful businessman if you knew that on your deathbed, the things that you fought for would all be handed off to a, to a world that would only destroy those things? So I'm an optimist in that way, but but as a realist slash cynic in another way, we have a massive battle to fight. Uh, but it's sort of yes. what it's sort of what I said to you before, and, and your answer is kind of good. It's like. There's nothing else I can do at this point. What else could I do? Where else can I go? It's too late. I'm in already. And I think that's also the scary part for people is that when they get, you know, this woke thing, you see so much nonsense crumble around you. And then there's a piece yeah. of you. I, I know this because it's it's I feel it too sometimes. Sometimes I'll see things now and I'll go, man, fuck, I wish I didn't see that in a way. I, I don't mean it in the in the end truth, but there's a piece of me that says, I wish I didn't see that. Because once you realize the bullshit and see that the bad guys that you've been taught are the bad guys aren't the bad guys, and that the system and the powers that be aren't the system that you thought they were, you see it everywhere. And it will cost you friends, and it could cost you other relationships, it could cost you jobs and all of those things. And uh, you just have no choice though. Once you see it, you can't, you know, if a wave's coming, you can't put it in a small cup. And and that's it. Well, I, yeah, I think you have uh, more of a moral center and integrity than most people. I think a lot of people actually, at least in this country, see it, uh, but are too afraid to act or uh, to take that step because it means losing jobs, losing family, losing friends, well, uh, taking a stand. Uh, that's what it does to people. And when it comes to hope, I will tell you, not verbatim, but sort of what my grandmother, who was in Auschwitz for a while and when in her youth, told me about uh, uh, fighting for survival. And that is, uh, you don't need to fight for a better world. You just need to fight every day at your utmost so it doesn't get worse. That, that, well, because it can get worse at every single point in time. That's pretty beautiful. And I think, uh, I think that's true. I, I like that. And maybe I'll quote you quoting your grandmother on that. And and obviously she lived through something that we that, you know, fortunately we've never lived through. 
But, you know, you just never know what can happen in this world. This world is capable of great evil. And yes. and I think you you just I don't I don't know where this comes from within me. I'm just some guy. The only reason you, Aaron Flam in, in Sweden, know who I am is because at some point I decided to make a YouTube channel and start saying what I think. That's all I do. And I always think it's really funny. Like there's this like cadre of like 20 Twitter people almost all of them anonymous who just hate me and they clip all my stuff and they selectively edit my stuff and they twist my words and they all of this shit. And I'm like, wow, you guys are so devoted to making me the enemy. And it's like, I'm actually not looking for enemies. And if you don't like what I'm doing, there's ways to reach out to me in a, in an honest, thoughtful way that I will respond to. And I would respond to, but if you want to find enemies everywhere, then you will. And, and to bring this back slightly to Bill Maher for a second, he did a piece about two or three months ago where he said that the problem of the left is that the whole house is burning down and they're all standing in the corner trying to clean up the dust. But the whole freaking thing is on its way down crumbling and we're all arguing over how do we get that little dustbin out of here. And I think that that very much is what's happening right now. I've been all I've tried to do is tell people what I think and, and try to fight for the liberal values that I believe in. Am I right about everything? I'm sure I'm not. Uh, I have plenty of people on the right that respectfully disagree with me because I'm pro-choice, which I think is a horrific choice to have to make, by the way. But I just believe that the choice should be with the woman. Um, but all of those things, those are all negotiable things in a pluralistic society that we have to fight through. But that's why I think the freedom of speech thing is the most important thing. And I think it's why. Uh, it's so important to you. You know, very obviously, in a, in a country that is so interested in just uh, acceptance and collective thinking, well, that if we can't speak freely, there will always be worse people ready to silence us in other ways. So it's like if you think that uh, that it's bad to throw gays off off uh, bridge off you know buildings in Saudi Arabia. Well, then when those ideas start taking root in your country, not that they're they're not going to start throwing off gays off roofs on day one, but they will slowly start taking those rights away. And this is why I've actually seen a, an interesting split in some minority communities lately. I think the black community right now is having an interesting split and they're shifting a little more towards libertarianism or real liberalism. I think the Jewish community is having it. I think the gay community is having it. I think certain minority communities are suddenly seeing that we can't hold Islam at the height of what we can't talk about if it's going to oppress the rest of us. And that should be obvious to anyone. And that doesn't mean that your, your neighbor who's Muslim, who invites you over uh, to celebrate the end of Eid, that doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Uh, I would suspect he's probably not a bad guy. But we should be allowed to talk about bad ideas because otherwise they will just grow and fester. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I want to tell you that I discovered your show this uh, Christmas uh, and I uh, fell in love with it and you immediately. Uh, it's uh, what I'm guessing a lot of people write and tell you. It's a breath of fresh air. And I was worried, really, really worried last year because I didn't see anyone in the United States and I've always had a high admiration for your um, well, your political discourse, your thinking, your philosophy. Um, and I was worried that it had disappeared completely. And then uh, you came up on my screen. So I want to thank you for that, Dave. Well, well, I thank you for, for your kind words. And, uh, and this, this is what it's about. What, what we're doing right now, whether, whether 
10 people listen to this or whether only 100 people listen to you on my show, we're at least having the balls to say what we think. And if that, if just that alone can spark anyone else to do that, you know, we're not going to be here forever. Uh, and it's sort of depressing, but you know, they can't get all of us. It, it, the people yes. who, the people who have bad ideas and bad intentions and who would use violence to silence people, they can't get all of us. So if just more people would stand up and say, that's what, th th this is my point. It's like, I'm not really saying anything controversial, I don't think. And yet I'm positioned as someone that's controversial. And I find that yeah. actually very funny. I, I don't take any pleasure in upsetting people and I don't take any pleasure really in, even though I come from comedy, I, the way I've always done stand-up was never intentionally controversial. But now just by saying simple truths, it's thought of as controversial or it's thought of as ballsy or gutsy. Uh, well, we just need more people to do it. Guess what? If you if you think that if you're going to say something and you're going to get fired from your job, it's going to be much worse for your kid. So you got to do it now while while you have. A, it's exactly what your grandmother said. Actually, it's it's a beautiful quote, uh, and it also goes to why uh, why these jokes, you know, PewDiePie jokes don't offend me. Guess what? Your grandmother went through something a lot worse than you're going through right now. But it was only it was. Sure. It was only good ideas that made the world better for you. And that's why we got to fight for good ideas. That is so true. And you sh if you, uh, if uh, one of our listeners was offended by the PewDiePie joke, they should have heard my grandmother's Holocaust joke. <laughs> they were horrifying. Uh, she had a very dark sense of humor. Um, anyway, I, want, I really want to thank you. And I think uh, that it's uh, so nice that you do a show that is long format. So you let people... Uh, uh, speak their mind and uh, you get more than these uh, clips of sound bites that you you come across online all the time well thank so, you Aaron. Listen, uh, if i if i come visit you in sweden am i on the list i mean are they going to take me right at the at the airport thing? no no they're go just going to be super passive aggressive <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, no they won't ta take you and uh, i do hope you come to sweden and if you do i'd like to host you and show you around well and i also great. hope I I'll, maybe I'll take you up on that. But if not, maybe we'll just meet in Amsterdam. I feel like we could get some good work done over there. Absolutely. And I hope that this wasn't the last time we talked or, well, we didn't see each other now, but see, saw each other. I suspect we shall do this again. I hope so. And uh, uh, good luck with all your endeavors. And uh, I hope this episode will make more people uh, in Sweden aware of your program and your deeds. All right. Thanks a lot, my friend. You have listened to Deconstructive Criticism, or in Swedish, Deconstructive Critique. If you like, please support me on Patreon. Until next time. Den här podden är skriven och inspelad av mig, Aron Flam, och klippt och mixad av Toste Severin. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.